0: Good morning. It's cold. I kind of anticipated that uh, we might have a smaller class today, and I get that. So guess what? You get more one-on-one <clears throat> teacher time, I guess. Maybe that's the way to look at it. Uh, uh, it's like private school today. Uh, you'll get your money's worth. But we are actually going through 2 Samuel, so I kind of want to recap real quick here <clears throat> where we're at. Uh, so Second Samuel is the, the, uh, the description of the, of the kingdom of, of Israel and David as their king. And uh, we've kind of seen the trajectory. It's kind of like a missile, right? It's kind of like it shoots up. And this is David, and he's doing great. And uh, he's he's a great king, and he's conquered a lot of territory for Israel. Um, he's really kind of um, you know created the first functioning bureaucracy. So we have a system of government that's that's running. And you know probably the people are are they're better off economically. There's more security. Religiously, uh, David is very devoted to Jehovah. Um, the God of Israel and, and he's making that a, a very important part of his, his rule and then he kind of peaks and then kind of around the time of Bathsheba things start to fall apart and, and David starts to make some, some decisions that maybe are not the, the greatest. Uh, he's a human being uh, just like the rest of us and, and now we're kind of in the second half of, of his rule and, and things are a little bit rocky and last week we talked about his son Absalom. What did Absalom do?
1: Basically tried to take over while David was still
0: king. Yeah. This happens in antiquity. Uh, You know, uh, It's always about the the next guy who wants to be in charge. I mean, it happens today, right? It's not just the 11th century BC. This happens in the 21st century AD. There's always people scheming for power who want to be in, in charge and want to take over. And in the case of David's son, they're like, I'm going to take over right now. And so Absalom foments a rebellion. He gets a lot of people in Israel on his side, and, uh, and, and it was going to work. I mean, essentially, he got a lot of the elders on his side. He was very charismatic. We can assume that at this point, David is an old man, probably older. Um, he's kind of just sticking around Jerusalem. He's really not going out to battle anymore. He's not really, from the sound of it, going and, and visiting the people of Israel. And remember, you know, this is our map. This is a period where, you know, this isn't the Internet age, this isn't a period where, uh, if I want to know who's ruling my country, I just flip on the television or the computer, and there he is, and he's giving me an address and, and talking to me. Um, in this period of time, uh, you know, the people are scattered. They don't travel much. If I don't see the king, who's in charge? <laughs> you know, uh, it's whoever is the strong guy who I am seeing, right? And so, so David is kind of sequestered here in Jerusalem. His son Absalom, young, um, obviously very ambitious, decides that he wants to take over and he actually forces David to flee Jerusalem. So where we pick up today in 2 Samuel 19 is David has fled Jerusalem and he is hiding out on the other side of the Jordan River with his group of loyal followers. Meanwhile, Jerusalem is now abandoned. Well, not abandoned. What I mean is (coughs) Absalom has died. And so maybe I'll, I'll talk about that just very briefly. Joab, the commander of David's army, has pursued Absalom to kill him. What did David say to his troops when they got to Absalom? Don't kill him. Don't kill my son. Treat him treat him nicely. David loves his son, right? The problem is Absalom is in command of basically almost all of the entire armed forces of Israel, the ones that were left. And David only has a small token force with him to protect him. <coughs> Joab, his commander, Disobeys his, his orders of his king And the king says Joab, if you find Absalom Don't kill him What happens? Absalom in uh, uh, Riding through the forest of Ephraim Which we think is, is probably in this area up here uh, Where the great battle takes place Between David's forces and Absalom's forces um, Absalom's forces are routed they are, they, are, they are essentially decimated And partially by just the forest If you've ever seen the return of the Jedi Right? Maybe there weren't Ewoks uh, but, but certainly the forest is, is a very tough place to, to fight A lot of men died just fighting in the forest Absalom forces are, are decimated And Absalom gets caught in a tree by his, his luxurious locks of his hair <clears throat> And while caught in the tree, and it's kind of a funny story But he's essentially, he's essentially helpless He's unable to flee, he's unable to fight Joab, the commander of David's army, comes up with three javelins and pierces uh, Absalom's heart And then his men uh, go to work on him And he is killed This is a direct violation of David's orders Now if you are a, a um, How do I say this If you are a ruthless <laughs> Scheming person What are you seeing Joab doing here What's, what, do we, what would you see Joab's play here to be
2: Going ahead of David Say it again going
1: ahead of
0: David. He's going ahead of David. And and now we're seeing what happens. Um, Now, we're going to get into Joab more today and next week. Um, What's important to remember here is that um, what is the evidence versus what do we think? Right? Well, the evidence is Joab has disobeyed a direct order of his king. What is the punishment for disobeying a direct order of your king in antiquity? That's it. You're you're toast. Um, You don't do that. And and so now he's and not only that, but he's killed his son. He's killed David's own son. And so you have to imagine how mad David is going to be about this. And in fact, as we end uh, chapter 18, oh, where was it? Yep, chapter 18. The king was shaken when he found out that his son was dead. He went up to the room over the gateway and wept. And as he went, he said, "Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom! If only I had died instead of you." Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. That's where we pick up today. David's still on the run, essentially. He is, he's still outside of Jerusalem. There is no king in Jerusalem right now. There has been a very bloody war, a very bloody confrontation. The, the nation is essentially in chaos because they had been behind Absalom. Absalom is dead, and now all of the pieces are starting to fall, uh, you know, fall apart, Let's pick up, and we have a lot to read, so I kind of want to get through this. Chapter 19,
1: Ooh,
0: that's a lot. 1 through, I'm not even going to tell you what it is, just all of, all of 19, please. Who would well, like to read that for me?
1: I'll do it. Thank you, ma'am. Okay. People to- told Joab, look, the king is sad and crying because of Absalom. David's army had won the battle that day, but it became a very sad day for all the people because they heard that the king was very sad for his son. The people came into the city quietly that day. They were like an army that had been defeated in battle and had run away. The king covered his face and cried loudly, My son Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son. Job went into the king's house and said, Today you have shamed all your men. They saved your life and the lives of your sons, daughters, wives, and slave women. You have shamed them because you love those who hate you, and you hate those who love you. Today you have made it clear that your commanders and men mean nothing to you. What if Absalom had lived and all of us were dead? I can see you would be pleased. Now go and encourage your servants. I swear by the Lord that if you do not go out, no man will be left with you by tonight. That would be worse than all the troubles you have had from your youth until today.
0: Now as you read this, I'm just pause. As you read this, think about who the major players are and what the major problems are. And when we get done, I'm going to ask you and we're going to go through that list. So be thinking about that. Go ahead.
1: Okay. So the king went to the city gate. When the news spread that the king was at the gate, everyone came to see him. All the Israelites who had followed Absalom had run away to their homes. People in the tribes of Israel began to argue, saying, The king saved us from the Philistines and our other enemies, but he left the country because of Absalom. We appointed Absalom to rule us, but now he has died in battle. We should make David the king again. So King David sent a message to Zadok and Abathar the priests, That said, Speak to the older leaders of Judah. Say, Even in my house, I have heard what all the Israelites are saying. So, why are you the last tribe to bring the king back to his palace? You are my brothers, my own family. Why are you the last tribe to bring back the king? And say to Amasa, You are part of my own family. May God punish me terribly if I don't make you commander of the army in Joab's place. David touched the hearts of all the people of Judah at once. They sent a message to the king that said, Return with all your men. Then the king returned as far as the Jordan River. The men of Judah came to Gilgal to meet him and to bring him across the Jordan. Sh- Shimei, son of Gera, a Benjamite who lived in Bahurim, hurried down with the men of Judah to meet King David. With Shimei came a thousand Benjamites. Ziba, the servant from Saul's family, also came, bringing his 15 sons and 20 servants with him. They all hurried to the Jordan to meet the king. The people went across the Jordan to help bring the king's family back to Judah and to do whatever the king wanted. As the king was crossing the river, Shemi, son of Gira, came to him and bowed face down on the ground in front of the king. He said to the king, My master, don't hold me guilty. Don't remember the wrong I did when you left Jerusalem. Don't hold it against me. I know I have sinned. That is why I am the first person from Joseph's family to come down and meet you today, my master and my king. But Abishai, son of Zeruah, said, Shimei should die because he cursed you, the Lord's appointed king. David said, This does not concern you, sons of Zeruah. Today you are against me. No one will be put to death in Israel today. Today I know I am king over Israel. Then the king promised Shimei, You won't die. Mephibosheth, Saul's grandson, also went down to meet King David. Mephibosheth had not cared for his feet. Cut his beard or washed his clothes from the time the king had left Jerusalem until he returned safely. When Mephibosheth came from Jerusalem to meet the king, the king asked him, Mephibosheth, why didn't you come with me? He answered, My master, my servant Ziba, tricked me. I said to Ziba, I am crippled, so saddle a donkey. Then I will ride it so I can go with the king. But he lied about me to you. You, my master and king, are like an angel from God. Do what you think is good. You could have killed all my grandfather's family. Instead, you put, me in, you put me with those people who eat at your own table, so I don't have a right to ask anything more from the king. The king said to him, Don't say anything more. I have decided that you and Ziba will divide the land. Mephibosheth said to the king, Let Ziba take all the land now that my master the king has arrived safely home. Barzillai of Gilead came down from Roglim to cross the Jordan River with the king. Barzillai was a very old man, 80 years old. He had taken care of the king when David was staying at Mahaniam because Barzillai was a very rich man. David said to Barzillai, Cross the river with me, come with me to Jerusalem, and I will take care of you. But Barzillai answered the king, Do you know how old I am? Do you think I can go with you to Jerusalem? I am 80 years old. I am too old to taste what I eat or drink. I am too old to hear the voices of men and women singers. "'Why should you be bothered with me? "'I am not worthy of a reward from you, "'but I will cross the Jordan River with you. "'Then let me go back so I may die in my own city "'near the grave of my father and mother. "'But here is Kimham, your servant. "'Let him go with you, my master and king. "'Do with him whatever you want.' "'So the king answered, "'Kimham will go with me. "'I will do for him anything you wish, "'and I will do anything for you that you wish.' "'The king kissed Barzillai and blessed him. "'Then Barzillai returned home, And the king and all the people crossed the Jordan. When the king crossed over to Gilgal, Kimham went with him. All the troops of Judah and half the troops of Israel let David across the river. Soon all the Israelites came to the king and said to him, Why did our relatives, the people of Judah, steal you away? Why did they bring you and your family across the Jordan River with your men? All the people of Judah answered the Israelites, We did this because the king is our close relative. Why are you angry about it? We have not eaten food at the king's expense or taken anything for ourselves. The Israelites answered the people of Judah, We have ten tribes in the kingdom, so we have more right to David than you do. But you ignored us. We were the first ones to talk about bringing our king back. But the people of Judah spoke even more unkindly than the people of Israel.
0: Thank you. You make it effortless. Uh, you know, it's it just flows. I don't know
1: about that. Ugh.
0: I'm reminded of my, one of my favorite movies that I always quote in this in this class, which is probably one of what two? Uh, wh- wh- it's a what Godfather, right? So, I can tell. so at the end of the first Godfather movie, um, Michael Corleone has now inherited the family business uh, uh, from Vito, who has passed away, and there's a traitor in their midst, and it appears as though there's a traitor amongst the top leadership, among his closest advisors, Clemenza, and it's like Barzali, right? It's like the two different guys, right? And so Michael sets a trap for them that he will, he will find out who the traitor is basically by who is going to negotiate a peace, uh, a peace meeting with their biggest enemy. And it turns out to be this Barzali guy. And this, you're just reading this, and I'm thinking this is exactly what's going on here. Uh, you know, the names are even similar, right? It's one of these guys is going to betray me. And, and what has happened here is that you have to remember, we have a situation where everything is basically in chaos. And a, a lot of people in Israel threw their weight behind Absalom because they were pretty sure he would be the next guy. Now, what happens when a common person, or maybe you know, maybe a, a, you know, an important person of of the kingdom, suddenly sees a power shift happening in front of them? What is our natural inclination as human beings to do? Bacon. We get swayed. Yeah. You get swayed, and you're and you going to want to put your, your chips behind who? The winner. The winner.
1: You'll be like, yeah. I never was with Absalom. I was always for you, David. Don't you this remember? It.
0: <laughs> and so we're dealing with human beings here who are obviously, you know, a lot of people put their chips behind Absalom, thinking he was the young, strong leader who was going to take over. Well, guess what? Absalom was not anointed by who? By God. may have been anointed by them, but yes. not by God. This is exactly it, Steve. So we have a problem here where the people think they know who the winner is, but God's like, no, 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 that ain't going to be what's going to happen. I am not behind Absalom. I am behind David.
2: That's what can happen, too, when you've got a crowd just going by emotions, making decisions rather than, you know, well, in our case, we have God's word. Um, But, you know, back then they had, I don't know, priests or prayer Mm -hmm. or something. But, you know, they... It's important not to get caught up in the movement of a crowd, I guess. It's so hard. It's so hard.
0: And, and, and I'm just kind of reflecting on chapter 19, even 18. How many times do they go to God to ask what to do?
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah.
0: It's absent. I don't see any of it. You know, to your point, Steve, God's in charge. He's the one that appointed David. I don't see anyone asking God what to do here. And so what we have is chaos. Now, who are the major players here? <clears throat>
1: Let's we'll start that
0: with Joab. Okay, so we've got Joab. Who is Joab?
1: Commander of David's forces.
0: Yes, David's top general. And what else? Who else? David. We have David. David is the anointed king of Israel. And I'm going to say of the United States. Monarchy, and what I mean by that, and I'll, I'll, I'll make that more clear in a minute, is all twelve tribes of Israel, the entire nation of Israel. <clears throat> Who else is in here? Amasa. Amasa. Who is Amasa?
1: He was Absalom's general.
0: So, here we go. Absalom's <laughs> general.
1: But he was the. Was he a was it? Yeah. Yeah. A cousin of David, right?
0: Yes. Yeah. Related to David. Um. And then, of course, we have Abs- Absalom is is dead, but he was he was David's David's son. <coughs> he was a um, usurper. I don't think I've ever written that word before. Usurper <laughs> of the throne. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and he's dead.
2: Um, <coughs> Our buddy Mephibosheth makes another appearance. (laughs)
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) Now, I'm just going to say Mephibi. (laughs) Who is this guy?
2: Oh, that's the, is it grandson of Saul?
0: Yes. That's a cripple, and
2: David, you know, brought him in and had him set at his table, and treated him well. Yeah. What happened in the last couple of chapters? That
1: his servant Ziba threw him under the bus and said that he, you know... One of them's lying. Mephibosheth.
0: Yep. Ziba was supposed to be the caretaker of Mephibosheth. I know there's a lot of names, that's why I'm writing them all down. Mephibosheth was promised by David to have a spot at David's table. Why is that so odd in this period? <clears throat> One of
1: Saul's relation.
0: Saul was the previous king of Israel, mm-hmm. and, and his house, or his descendants, should have become what? King. King. Now, God said that's not what his plan was. Because Saul was wicked and his family was wicked, he decided to end the house of Saul's rule after one person. After Saul was gone, there would be no more, um, in God's eyes, he didn't want any more people from the house of Saul to rule Israel. What's the problem in antiquity? (laughs) Or even today, when you have the, the family members of the previous king... And even, and we'll talk about this in a minute, uh, members of the tribe of Benjamin, who Saul was from, who do they see the king as, as supposed to be?
1: Someone from Saul's house.
0: Saul's family. Yeah. So there are probably a lot of people that say, David is not the rightful heir of the throne. Mephibosheth should be the heir. Now, Mephibosheth, bless his heart, has his own issues. First of all, he has... Um, disability in his legs. Now, we talked about that, not to take too much of a tangent here, but remember, in antiquity, if you were a king, you were expected to be strong, to go out into battle, and fight for your your kingdom. Um, If you were weak, or you had a physical or mental disability... Uh, or you were just not interested in warfare in general. Maybe you like music and art, and you like to, you know, uh, read or something like that. You were you were not considered a good king, and the people would would basically say, "We are not going to have you as king," and you would probably more than likely be killed. And then the strong one would show up. But there are a lot of people who, for all of these years, have said, "Morning."
3: Mornin.
0: A lot of people who have said for a lot of years they never accepted David as their king. Now you may read Second Second Samuel. And think, oh, after, you know, after David becomes the king of the United Market, everything's cool. No, it ain't cool. (laughs) It's like today. You might say, you know, four years ago, I'm not going to get political. Oh, Donald Trump became the president. Everyone loves Donald Trump. Just like you might say, oh, well, now Joe Biden is the president. Everyone loves Joe Biden. Well, of course that's not true. It wasn't true back then, 3,000 years ago. And you, can, you better believe there's plenty of people who never, ever, ever gave up on the idea that David should not be their king. Now we have this, this incident a few chapters earlier when all the crap is, is hitting the fan and, every, and David flees to <coughs> Jerusalem because Absalom is going to kill him. All of a sudden, Ziba shows up. Kind of out of nowhere. David's like, whoa, hey, Ziba, what's up, bro? Right? <laughs> Ziba, what's going on? And Ziba says, oh... I am your loyal servant, that Mephibosheth, who's not there, by the way, to defend himself. That Mephibosheth turned on you. He didn't want to support you as king. And he want, he's, he's siding with Absalom, but, oh, king, I love you. And, and I want you to, you know, I, I, you know I'm on your side. And well, as it turns out.
1: And he came with, like, camels with cakes and food and supplies for the army. So, like, so he was what's he, really buttering he's
0: really him up. buttering them up. And guess what? Okay. How many of you have a car <laughs> or more than, right? How many of us have, ju- have one car maybe or, or, or two cars and that's it? Well, just imagine if you show up and you wake up in the morning, your cars are all gone. <laughs> How are you supposed to get anywhere, right? This is before public transportation. They don't have buses, right? So Ziba takes all of the cars. He takes the donkeys. That's what Phibosheth's supposed to do. How's he supposed to get out and go talk to David? He's trapped, dude. Ziba knew it. Ziba knew that Mephibosheth had no way to get to David to tell him any of this. So he gets a one-sided story. Well, of course, David, being the, the guy he is, says, oh, that Mephibosheth shakes his fist. Ziba, guess what? You get to inherit everything that Mephibosheth was supposed to inherit. Well, guess what? <laughs> guess what? This, is, this proves the old adage. You don't really know anything until you hear the whole story. Now that the thing is all over, Mephibosheth... Shows up, and again, I just want to caution that because that this, sometimes this is out of chronological order, scholars think this happened after David returned to Jerusalem. So it's 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 not likely that Mephibosheth now has mounted a you know a new donkey and has ridden out. It's it's unlikely. It's probably has happened later. He gets the whole story. No, dude, I was always on your side. Ziba took my donkey and he took all my stuff. And. And just look at what Mephibosheth is saying here. He's very contrite. He's like, dude, you can do to me whatever you want. I'm telling you I was always on your side. If you want to kill me, you can kill me. If you want to take all my stuff, you can take my stuff. That is a different message from Zebra. Zebra. <laughs> <coughs> that is a different message. And I think David realized what was going on here. But probably David also, being a shrewd man, is also realizing that he still may not ever have the entire story here. So what does he say? He just divides it in half. Divides it in half.
2: Yeah. He's
0: like, I'm just going to be like a divorce lawyer. I don't know who's right. I don't know who's wrong. You can each get half.
2: <coughs> Scripture really, really never goes any further and lets us know either. Yeah. It just kind of hangs out there. Exactly. And what, and what does that suggest? Maybe that it's not material. Yeah. Okay. That doesn't matter that Okay. Because if it did, we'd know. Fair. That's fair.
1: And it could be, you know, they both were, you know. It could have been they were both jerks.
2: Exactly. Or, or, you know, exactly. I I tend to lean that Mephibosheth was probably telling the truth, and Zeba wasn't, but.
0: I mean, who had the most to lose here? Mephibosheth really had his neck on the line the entire time. He really had no power here, so Mm -hmm. it seems like it is probably true. Um, Tell me more about what's going on here. So, (laughs) let's see, did we read it in 19? Let me just. What else do you take from this?
1: Oh, oh we tell me about
0: yeah, Shimei. Yes, who was Shimei?
1: <laughs> He's the guy that pelted him with stones and shouted at him and yes. and, and called him names. Yes.
0: <laughs> now, even even today, what would you have? let's say you are the king? You're not just some guy. You're the king, and you've got your army. And they're marching out. They're, they're marching out of Jerusalem. And there's this guy throwing stones, throwing filth at you. Not just stones, filth. Saying you are an awful person in front of everybody. What is 99% of the time going to happen to that guy? Death. They're going to kill him, dude. They're going to make an example. Don't you dare disrespect our king in front of everyone. And in fact, who's probably going to be the one to order it? Deep. The That's king. The king. Yeah. To be like, I'm going to show him. He can't, he can't make me look like a fool. What did David do?
1: That was really good what David did, I thought. What was he, that? He said, you know, let him, let him talk. You know, maybe I have done something. that he,
0: You know, maybe I have it coming to me. Wait, that's weird. I thought you said he let him go. It's true. That's what you said. It's exactly right. He just <clears throat> said, it's all good. He's I, probably right.
1: I can't believe that he comes back. And it's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm like, I'd be hiding. Yeah. I
2: wouldn't go and yeah. say I'm
1: sorry. I'd be like, and I'm going to go hide in a hole. And what nobody does that tell you?
2: Me. What <laughs> tells you the heart of Shimei. Okay. Um, he comes to David in a contrite way. Mm-hmm. says he's sorry. He was wrong. And it seems like when you do that with David, that gets you out of, that gets you out of hock. Maybe they do know him. <laughs> yeah.
0: Now, seeking forgiveness. Maybe they do know their king better than you think. Um, I do want to make the point, though. I think this is really important. How many of you know what's going to end up happening to Joab and to Shimei when David is gone? Do you know the answer? What happens, Laura?
1: He tells Solomon right before he dies. He says, hey, Solomon, so these are the people that you're going to kill as soon as I die. <laughs> one of them is Joab. One of them is Shimei.
0: Oh, really? Yes, not
1: gonna
0: make it. <laughs> this is I, again The Godfather have you ever seen The Godfather oh, I, I, I talk about it all the time <laughs> Ned so you're going to get sick of me hearing it saying it but at the end of the movie The Godfather Vito Corleone does not kill the heads of the five families who are his greatest enemy he lets them live because he wants to quote broker a peace but guess what he knows is going to happen what, what does Vito know is about to happen? Because he's an old man and he's about to die.
1: They're going to try and take over his stuff when he dies. As soon
0: as he dies, there's going to be a move against his family. and They're going to try and kill the Corleone family. But who does Vito know who is about to become in charge now? Michael. Michael, his son. As soon as Vito dies, Michael Corleone does what? He kills all of them. He kills all <laughs> of the heads of the five families wipes them out. I'm not saying the Bible is the Godfather, but I'm saying this is what happens with human beings in antiquity. And again, you know, because this is a Christian class, this is, this is a class in Christianity, you make the point that this was always God's intention all along. He wanted David to honor his, his promise, and he wanted David to be a man of forgiveness. And remember, in the case of Solomon, he, Solomon even, it's not like the Godfather. Again, I, I say that, but it's not the same. Solomon gives Shimei a chance. If you remember in 1 Kings, as soon as Solomon becomes king, he says, Shimei, look, dude, you're on thin ice. My father forgave you, as he rightly should have. However, I expect that you will never leave Jerusalem, meaning to foment a rebellion against me. If you stay in Jerusalem for the rest of your days, you will live a happy, wealthy, safe man. What does Shimei do? Leaves. He leaves, and he doesn't come back, and Solomon knows he's trying to start a rebellion again, so he has him killed. So again, the point, folks, is, yes, the point here is forgiveness, it is grace, um, but God has a plan here, and, and he's making it very clear. If you don't follow that plan, there are consequences. What does Joab do? Right away, right away, what does Joab do?
2: Well, he confronts David. I mean, it's almost really, a, a I would say, a good example of sometimes you need to stand up and reprove yep. those in authority over you. And by doing so, he's taking a huge risk um, because he knows David's mad at him. This is so important. And I'm going to tell you right now,
0: even leaders need rebuking. There are leaders in this room. We need to be held accountable for what we do. And sometimes we need to be told, slap, you're doing the wrong thing here. Joab is taking a huge risk of doing this, but you can see how Joab is starting to get more and more kind of gutsy about this, right? Now, you know, what, what could have Joab done here? The men were ticked. The men were ticked. They, and, and Joab is 100% right in what he said here. Today you have humiliated your men who have just saved your life and the lives of your sons and daughters. Guess what? This was, this was an uphill battle for Joab and his men. Absalom almost certainly had a bigger force, Absalom had the backing of Israel. Um, This this was not a battle that many people expected David to win, which is why so many people put their weight behind Absalom. But Joab's forces won, David's forces won. And now guess what, David is lamenting and he's mourning and crying and he's, he's blaming his troops. How dare you kill my son? And they're all sitting there, many of them with wounds, many of them with dead friends or family members. Because, you know, war is not without cost. And they're sitting there with their bandages and their wraps, and they're sitting there, you know, sick and coughing, and, and, the, and the king is, is blasting them. As, as an army person, what are you thinking?
1: Why was I behind him? What
0: Screw this. the blank is he talking about? How dare he? How dare he? Now, remember... We have talked a lot about David and his, and his ability to lead men. And he had early in his life, he had a great ability to be charismatic and to lead. He, was a, he is a natural-born leader of men. He is as low as you can possibly get at this point. And Joab knows it. Now, I want to make the point about Joab and his heart, because I, I kind of err on the side of giving Joab a lot of credit here. What could Joab have done in that moment?
2: Well, he could have really... Mounted an insurrection against David. I mean, he had the men behind him. They were already mad at David.
1: He's the one who killed Absalom, so he could be like, look, I'm taking over.
0: This is how this works in antiquity, folks. The guy who kills the king is the king. (laughs) Joab had every right and probably with the people could have made a very good case that he was the next king of Israel. But he didn't. At least here, he didn't. And what does he do? He rebukes his leader. Now go out and encourage your men. I swear by the Lord, if you don't go out, not a man will be left with you by nightfall. This will be worse for you than all the calamities have come upon you from your youth till now. That is heavy. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Holy crap. It's like David, puts your freaking big boy pants on, mm-hmm. pick yourself up, and get out there and do what's right. Get your blank out there. And he kind of needed it. that. Yeah. He needed that kind of a talk. And what did he do? He pulled it. I mean, that pulled him out. It, it like, worked. Yeah. It worked.
1: But you might argue that um, he wouldn't have even had to give this talk if he yeah. had just followed David's orders and not killed Absalom. They so, still could have won the battle and Absalom could have been captured. I
0: totally I, I totally, right? I totally so. see that. And I think that's the other thing here to remember is, well, Joab did what he wasn't supposed to do. So maybe he's created a problem he's got to fix. Um, <clears throat> I, I agree with that. Um, so the king got up and took his seat in the gateway. And when the men were told the king is sitting in the gateway, they all came before him. Why did he take up his seat in the gateway?
2: Well, that's where business is done.
0: Why? He didn't say Jerusalem. Where is he? Oh, well, he's back he's at the other place, place, isn't he? He is still out yeah. in the wilderness, folks. I think it's really interesting here to remember. David has, I know, and you're looking at your NIV. Oh, it says David returns to Jerusalem. Guess what? That didn't happen right away. It took a while. As soon as, as Absalom is dead, <coughs> David should have marched back to Jerusalem, but he didn't. What does that tell you is going on?
3: Still not safe there?
0: Yes. Things are not, not rosy. If I mean, It takes a while for word to travel, for one. That's
2: one. And he's
1: too busy mourning. I
0: was going to say,
2: it shows he's is. over his mourning. Yeah. If he's at the gate. Well, well he's re- but, but he's still busy. not in Jerusalem.
0: Meaning, yes, he's made some progress, I agree with that. He's decided to get off his, you know what, and go out and and tell his troops how great they are. However, what he should have done is gotten on his horse or his donkey and gone back to Jerusalem. And I think the point here is that, what? Why did he leave in the first place?
1: (laughs) Scared
2: for his
0: life. Why? Who who is not happy with David right now? Everybody. 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 So I think you've got to think about this like tactically. There is a lot more going on here. Obviously, the people of Israel are still really upset about what's going on. And there's a lot of division. Now, we're going to read about, and we do read about this, right? So he returns to Jerusalem, but what happens?
1: Well, he starts to get word. Like, all the Israelites are like, wait a minute. David did all this great stuff for us. Why did we go after Absalom again? (laughs) Let's bring back David.
2: Yep. So then David puts, you know, the, uh, the other guy's general in charge of his own army. Yeah, why? He's got, uh, all, he's got all the influence of yep. the people back home. Yep. So I'm going to put him in charge of my army.
0: Why did Punish he do that? Joab. Yes. Punish Joab. And what, what is David thinking in his mind is going on right now with Joab?
2: <clears throat> well, he's probably not fully trusting him.
0: What happens if you're a leader and you get rebuked by one of your generals or your lieutenants? <laughs> if somebody else sees it, it's not very good. No, that's Just really general,
1: bad. General, Anytime someone rebukes us, whether mm-hmm.
0: they're at a, <laughs> Who do you think you are? We
1: don't like to be rebuked.
0: No one <laughs> likes to be rebuked. No one likes to be told they're doing a bad job or they could do better. And now it's personal. Look, again, I make the point. Where did David go to God here? He's acting like a human being here. He's not acting like a son of God. He's not acting like an anointed king of Israel, going to Jehovah and saying, what do you want me to do? What should I do? And what is this going to do? And I want to make the point here too. Um, I want to make this point about, and we, we read it in 42 and 43. Let's go back because this is really important actually. Okay. Soon all of the men of Israel were coming to the king and saying, why did our brothers, the men of Judah, steal the king away? Oh, did I go too far? Let me just read this right here. Uh, let me see. Why did, why did your brothers, the men of Judah, steal the king away and bring him and his household across the Jordan together with all of his men? How many men from Judah joined to bring the king back to Jerusalem? All, the men of Judah. all of the men of Judah. How many of the men of Israel came to bring the king back?
1: That's half the troops of Israel.
0: Okay, I want to... This is really important, okay? Now, remember, it's confusing. When we say Israel, the author of 2 Samuel, for him, Israel is the northern ten tribes. Ten tribes here. For Judah, there's two tribes. Judah's tribes are Judah and Benjamin. Israel's tribes are everything from... Manasseh, Ephraim, Dan, um, uh, so on and so, Reuben, so on and so forth, okay? David didn't wait for all of the men of Israel to show up. He just went, and when I say Israel, the author is being very, very careful to delineate the people of Judah and the people of Israel. In verses 42 and 43, this might not mean anything to you, when you read your translation... All of the men of Judah answered the men of Israel. We did this because the king is closely related to us. Guess what? That's not the translation. The pronouns are all in the first person here. First person singular. I did this because the king is closely related to me. Why are you, singular, Israel, angry about it? Have I eaten any of the king's provisions? Have I taken anything for myself? Then the men of Israel answered the men of Judah, "I have 10 shares in the king, meaning 10 tribes, and besides, I have a greater claim on David than you, singular have. Why do you treat me with contempt? Were, was I not the first to speak and bringing back my king, my king? What is the author of Second Samuel trying to say here?
1: Beginning to, to fight over in the beginning the division between the there's a division
0: here, and it's way more personal than just a few of, of them and a few of us. It's it's us versus them.
2: You and me. So is this really the first time we've seen this delineation between the two tribes versus the ten in in such a stark manner? An excellent
0: or, question. There's been hints. If you read back to First Samuel there are hints that the author of First and Second Samuel, probably the same author, at least the, the same editor, is referring to Israel and Judah as two separate entities. What does that tell you?
1: That at least it was edited, if not written, after the split in the monarchy. That's one.
0: This is per, the, the final redaction or collection of writings probably didn't happen until after the monarchy had split. The other is that this split has been there for a long time.
1: Well, and, and at least you know because it is written later. Mm-hmm. You you know hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah. You can start seeing the division like, even oh. if it wasn't yeah. spoken
0: exactly so much exactly.
3: And
1: look is how this this of, is. Is there any sort of like physical barrier, like geographically, between?
0: <laughs> Not really. It's <laughs> kind of interesting you say that because one of you know. I would say the biggest barriers we have in this region are the Rift Valley, which is the Dead Sea and the jordan sea that's a that's a natural barrier, and it kept a lot of people on this side from a lot of people on that side. Um, another barrier is the Judean hills, but they tend to run kind of up the spine here and are kind of contiguous so that it's really it's really more a barrier for the for the people in the plains, like the Philistines to come into the mountains um, and that's why the Philistines tend to stay here and the and the Israelites here. The only other Barrier really is kind of this, this uh, Jezreel Valley, which goes kind of like right here. So this is <coughs> this is Jaffa, which is the modern day city of Tel Aviv. There's this natural valley um, that runs here. and, and thus it, it kind of forces everyone to go th- right through this, this region here. and this is actually um, uh, this is uh, uh, Megiddo, you know, or Armageddon but really not. (laughs) Otherwise than that, there's really not a lot of of physical separation, and in fact, this is one reason why David built his capital in Jerusalem. Why, because it's right on the edge. It's right on the edge of the North and the South kingdoms, or territories, and he wanted to unite both of them, And and he did, but look how personal this is in 42 and 43. This is really extremely personal. They're angry, they're vindictive, it's like watching the Housewives of Orange County or something, right? It's like a full-on fight at dinner, right? And it's personal. And, and they're like, why are you doing this? We have a share in the king as well. And, and I really think that speaks volumes to what's happening here because this division is much bigger than we all maybe think is going on. And this is going to have huge repercussions when David and Solomon are gone. So, Okay, any other takeaways from this? What do you think is going to happen with Amasa being now the general? That's going to work great. That's going to be awesome, right? Everyone's going to get along. Oh, my gosh. Let's talk about chapter 20. Let's read the whole thing, 1 to 25. Who would like
2: to read that for me? I can do that, I guess. It's not 43 verses. (laughs) (laughs) I'd have backed off then. There happened to be a troublemaker there named Sheba, son of Bichri, a man from the tribe of Benjamin. Sheba blew a man's, a ram's horn, and began to chant, Down with the dynasty of David, we have no interest in the son of Jesse. Come on, you men of Israel, back to your homes. So all the men of Israel deserted David and followed Sheba, son of Bichri. But the men of Judah stayed with their king and escorted him from the Jordan River to Jerusalem. When David came to his palace in Jerusalem, he took the ten concubines he had left to look after the palace and placed them in seclusion. Their needs were provided for, but he no longer slept with them, so each of them lived like a widow until she died. Then the king told Amasa, mobilize the army of Judah within three days and report back at that time. So Amasa went out to notify Judah, but it took him longer than the time he had been given. Then David said to Abishai, Sheba, son of Bichri, is going to hurt us more than Absalom did. Quick, take my troops and chase after him before he gets into a fortified town where we can't reach him. So Abishai and Joab, together with the king's bodyguard and all the mighty warriors, set out from Jerusalem to go after Sheba. As they arrived at the great stone in Gibeon, Amasa met them. Joab was wearing his military tunic with a dagger strapped to his belt, as he stepped forward to greet Amasa, he slipped the dagger from its sheath. How are you, my cousin, Joab said, and took him by the beard with his right hand as though to kiss him. Amasa didn't notice the dagger in his left hand, and Joab stabbed him in the stomach with it so that his <laughs> insides gushed out onto the ground. Joab did not need to strike again, and Amasa soon died. Joab and his brother Abishai left him lying there and continued after Sheba. Sheba. One of Joab's young men shouted to Amasa's troops, If you are for Joab and David, come and follow Joab. But Amasa lay in his blood in the middle of the road, and Joab's man saw that everyone was stopping to stare at him. So he pulled him off the road and into a field and threw a cloak over him. With Amasa's body out of the way, everyone went on with Joab to capture Sheba son of Bikri. Meanwhile, Sheba traveled through all the tribes of Israel and eventually came to the town of Abba. Abel, let's see, Abelbeth, Makkah. All the members of his own clan, the Bichrites, assembled for battle and followed him into the town. When Joab's forces arrived, they attacked Abelbeth, Makkah. They built a siege ramp against the town's fortifications and began battering down the wall. But a wise woman in the town called out to Joab, Listen to me, Joab, come over here so I can talk to you. As he approached, the woman asked, "'Are you Joab?' "'I am,' he replied. So she said, "'Listen carefully to your servant.' "'I'm listening,' he said. Then she continued, "'There used to be a saying, "'If you want to settle an argument, "'ask advice at the town of Abel. "'I am one who is at peace, loving, and faithful in Israel, "'but you are destroying an important town in Israel. "'Why do you want to devour what belongs to the Lord?' Joab replied, "'Believe me, I don't want to devour or destroy your town.' That's not my purpose. All I want is a man named Sheba, son of Bichri from the hill country of Ephraim, who has revolted against King David. If you hand over this one man to me, I will leave this town in peace. All right, the woman replied. We will throw his head over the wall to you. (laughs) (laughs) Then the woman went to all the people with her wise advice, and they cut off Sheba's head and threw it out to Joab. So he blew them ram's horn and called his troops back from the attack. They all returned to their homes Homes and Joab returned to the king at Jerusalem. Now, Joab was the commander of the army of Israel. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, was captain of the king's bodyguard. Adoram was in charge of forced labor. Jehoshaphat, son of Ahilud, was the royal historian. Shiva was the court secretary. Zadok and Abiathar were the priests. And Ira, a descendant of Jair, was David's personal priest. It
0: just, it just keeps going. I mean, you know, <laughs> tune in next week. It'll be more mayhem. I was just thinking, I don't want my beard to be too long. And then <laughs> someone's going to grab it. You know, I get something in the gut there.
1: Is it like, didn't he already curse Joab's family earlier and say that, like, no one would ever, like, it would all have, like, sores or, and they, they would die. Well, so
3: guess, what? <laughs> guess what?
1: Guess huh. what?
0: I mean, eventually.
1: <clears throat> that Joab, he's, he's a character.
0: He's a character, dude. <laughs> Joab. Uh, you know, one of the more uh, underrated people of the Old Testament, dude.
1: He, like, has his own sense of righteousness, I think.
0: He's kind of, he's kind of, he marches to the beat of his own drum. He's like, he knows what he, he needs to do, and he does it.
1: He's like, I'm not going to get the army taken away from me. You tried to take it away from me? That's all right. That's all right. I'll, I'll just take care of it myself.
0: I think it's, it's, it's interesting. The author notes he, he put on his military guard, I meaning he put on his general's uniform, even though he wasn't the general anymore, and he went walking out to Massa. He's like, hey, Massa, what's up, brother? <laughs> <laughs> and you go, Massa's probably looking at him like, Wait a minute! You're not the guy anymore. What? Uh, you know it's
1: work. Well, mass is not very like. Uh, what do you call it? Smart. Aware of like tactically aware. No. You know what I mean? No. If you're the general, you got to be aware of like all the sorts what of things that What do you think he's doing? Happen. The minute
3: he saw Joab, he'd be like, "Get your sword out! I don't I trust mean, this."
1: Why would you trust Joab? You <laughs> he, he can't? Do. I'm
3: guessing he's full of pride at that time, going, "Look at Joab's coming to join our hey, side." Hey!
1: Oh, come on! Up. Yeah.
3: Right. Exactly, dude. He's coming over to be part of it.
0: Finally, got his head straight. Gosh, isn't it interesting how much what we want to be true can really stories we tell ourselves. cloud our mind, cloud our mind. I want this to be true. It's true. What do you take away from all of this? What's what's kind of the message that's driving home for you personally here?
1: I liked that. I mean, um, I maybe this is a stretch but god's plan was never for like women to be like downtrodden and like treated like you know inferior people and there's like lots of times in the bible where god like kind of shows Mm -hmm. how he you know he lets women shine in ways that like they weren't like in their culture meant to shine you Mm -hmm. know and like that it's a woman who saves this whole town Mm -hmm. just because she's like let's use our heads, everybody, and like... <laughs> and Literally. let's use our head
0: by giving him his head.
1: Yeah. yeah, let's just talk to Joab and see what's going on instead of having our whole town be destroyed, you know? Mm-hmm. And I like that.
2: Yeah. It's interesting, it starts off with David taking the ten concubines, it who, is. by the way, had been violated by Absalom. Um, so he's not going to touch them anymore. But he still kind of takes care of them for the most part. Yeah. You know, they, yeah. They get to spend the rest of their lives as spinsters or whatever. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't seem like the the greatest life. I'm I'm intrigued by the, the public knowledge of all this.
3: right mm-hmm. like, And you know, we're reading through that. I'm like, how do we know that? I mean, okay. Who who knows this then? That
0: he put them up. You know, out it's kind of like Ehud and Nabal. How do how do we know what went on that he was on the toilet and and the guy stuck him and in his intestines spilled out? Right. Well, the truth is that truth comes out. And I always like to make the comment, you know, you can be a conspiracy theorist about what's going on in the world, but people always talk. People always talk. And 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 you know, there really is no such thing as a secret. Um, you know, eventually the truth will come out of what's actually happened here. And of course, this is a very public setting. Um,
3: is that what you're getting at? Like, yeah, we just, know? yeah, like, you know, I think about, I think about, I try to, I take all this and I go, what if this happened today? Yeah, there was no way that we would write these things down and say this is the word of God. Okay, how in the world would we ever pull that off? Mm-hmm. Like, how many people would actually believe?
0: Yeah, this. You know, how many people believe this today, Ken? Yeah, I know, not that many, but. And I, and I think that's that's I mean, part of, of it. Pieces. We, yeah. You know, <clears throat> you know, it's remarkable is that, to your point, 3,000 years later, we still have this. I mean, think of, <laughs> I am a huge proponent of, of biblical scholarship, as you know, and I, and, I, and I bore you to death with it week after week, but it, in all of my studies, I have never found a source of so much knowledge of history as the Bible. I mean, there really is no equal in all of human history, the fact that over so many generations, people have taken such care and and, and dedication to to keep the records of what happened in the past alive, to pass them on to their gen, their future generations. You know, we still know about Joab. I mean, I, I'm going to just say, I bet Joab wasn't a guy that woke up thinking, gosh, 3,000 years from now, these dudes in Iowa are going to know all about me. <laughs> you know, I'm pretty important. I don't even know what Iowa is, but I know they're going to know about me. Uh, you know, did Paul know the effect he was going to have? You know,
2: um, yeah. I was thinking just the other day while I was studying. Um, you know, we we tend to look at the Israelites and mm-hmm. think you idiots. Yeah. I mean, you've got. All these yep. things, the mir- the miracles they got to see, you know, from Moses yep. through all all of the the characters you mm-hmm. know about, and we think, how lucky could you be? Because I, I was reading, yeah. I've been going through the prophets, and, and over and over and over, mm-hmm. everybody's warned, repent, yep. but they don't, yep. and then even when the northern kingdom falls and gets destroyed, mm-hmm. Judah's still around. Mm-hmm. And they have a good king who <laughs> forces the people to start doing things right. But in their hearts, they're, they're only doing it because they're being forced. Yeah. So as soon as That's he it. dies, yep. guess what? Over. Yeah. They go back. You know, we ha- they had all these signs, but in reality, <clears throat> look how much luckier. Yeah. Lucky is the wrong word, but how much more blessed we are. Mm-hmm. We've got the written word. We can pull up everything on, the f- on a freaking phone mm-hmm. and study it from our, you know, comfort of our house and go through all of it and learn that way rather than, yeah, they had some real-life experience that they got to witness, but, you know, we make the same mistakes probably worse. Yep. Love it. Love it.
0: How do we apply this to our lives today? I mean, how do I take... You know, what's going on in Israel three thousand years ago and say this this means something to me today and I can act on it. How do I act on this? I think that's and this is my comment to to you and and almost all of you in here are are teachers or or leaders or you know, you're discipling others. How do you disciple someone with this and make it relevant? Because the part I think that, that most people have to the Old Testament is its barrier just by its subject matter and its history and its and its age. How do you draw knowledge from this to apply it?
1: Part of it is like like Steve said, like when you're reading it mm-hmm. and you're like, oh these people are so dumb like learn from that and be like Yeah I don't wanna be like that. You know, like when I hear the story about the servant who, Mm -hmm. you know, owed millions of dollars and the king Mm -hmm. forgave him. And then he went and said, hey, you owe me 20 bucks and let me throw you in prison. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I don't, I want to learn from that. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be the wicked servant. Like, I want to forgive other people, you know? Okay. And um, not only that, but also, like, in this passage, like, we don't see people, like, seeking the Lord's counsel. And, like, we need to learn that when we have... You know, I don't think anything's too small to bring it to God. Like He wants Ooh. to Ooh, I love hear that from us and, you know, guide us.
0: Nothing is too small for God's feedback. Totally, hundred percent. And you know, it's kind of funny because the smaller you think it is, maybe the bigger God thinks it is, and He does want you to talk to Him about it. Maybe He does care about.
1: It. Well, I think when we start thinking that nothing's too small for it, then like we're asking God for counsel on. I mean, he wants it yeah. in all aspects of our life, and then it becomes more of a habit, whereas right. I think we are more in the habit of like, oh, this is a really big thing. It's about my job, so then I'll ask God about it. But if it's just, you know, we'll ask him for like the big decisions, but we don't ask him about little things. I well, love in, it. And in everything, there's spiritual warfare going on. Yep. So what you may feel is something small that you're dealing with.
2: Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and there are small things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I go to a right. beverage, if I if I go to a a pop dispenser and I've got all the different beverages, I'm not going to pray to the Lord. Should I get diet Pepsi <laughs> or regular Pepsi or diet Dew? I mean, uh huh. There are some God's things, like, okay, now you Pepsi can just pray. Yeah. There are some things smoking? I think God really. doesn't. That's God smoking. smoking. <laughs> like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I think what I see, what I see is. There's little bits and pieces of God's character revealed through men throughout this. Oh, I love it! And as an image bearer of God myself, it—I don't even use this word—but it behooves me to.
2: (laughs) That's a good one. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, (laughs) five-dollar word there. I say that to Ray all the time. It behooves you. (laughs) <laughs> but it, it, clean room. Know, it's, it puts it on me to
3: And I don't want to say this in a way of like like now I have this obligation or like oh my gosh I better get with it type of thing, but I need to know who he is. Yeah
2: You have a I'm, responsibility. I'm doing the yep. same thing, right?
3: Yep. Yeah, and responsibility I love that word because and I take it apart and I say it's our ability to respond to a situation our ability to when I meet somebody at work or on the street or whatever it is I have an opportunity, I have an ability to respond to them in a way, not like, you better do it right, not that kind of responsibility, but I get a chance, I get, Mm -hmm. God's trusted me Mm -hmm. as an image bearer, Mm -hmm. to bear his image to others, and it's, I get to represent him, I get to, I don't have to, I don't,
2: it's a privilege,
3: yeah, I mean, if we take that, take a little bit of that I have to and oh my God, when I mean, you think about Paul, he says there was, you know, I know a man that was swept up to heaven and oh my gosh, what I saw there, if you could just see it, mm-hmm. you know, basically is what he's saying. Mm-hmm. Like, we've seen that, right? We've, I've never been to heaven, but we've, we've experienced it. We've, I mean, it, we went snowmobiling the other night and we went down the road and I knew we shouldn't have and I buried I bailed out and Corey down into a big hole <laughs> and we were... I mean, drifted in stuck and and I can't get my helmet off and, I, and this I know this is trouble, you know. And, and I'm trying to get it and I'm frantically I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not gonna be able to get this out of here till spring when the mud dries out and I can drive my <laughs> truck down here and this is first time riding these new sleds and I'm I mean this is a disaster. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, that's right. Hey God, can you help me with this? <laughs> And all of a sudden, he's like, "He's like, hey, you look under the ski, there's a clump of grass right there, frozen. Move it over. Do this. And three minutes later, whoop, I drove it out. I this. this. You know, love and this. it's, I mean, because I took it into my own hands, like, oh, no, this is the end of the freaking world here because we just bought <laughs> yeah. these sleds, and now we're down to one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Perspective. You know, I guess I'll be riding by myself. You know, and all of a sudden, I go, wait. And she's, you know, I'm telling her about it, she's like, I was praying the whole time because it looked like you needed it. I'm like, yeah, I, I did. It. <laughs> yeah, awesome. I did. Uh, God's character was calmed down, settled down a little bit. It's okay.
2: You know, something about Scripture, and whether it's Old Testament, New Testament, I, I go back to context. Yep. And there are some scriptures where the context may literally be one verse or two mm-hmm. or three verses. Mm-hmm. But with the Old Testament, I think the context is much bigger. Okay. I mean, you can't just read this one chapter in Second Samuel mm-hmm. and come away with, oh, this is the clear message from God. Yep. I think you got to go way, way further on both sides of it to truly get to some of those points we're making there. I,
0: I love that Steve I, I totally support that I love that statement and you know I think you only have to look to prophets of the Old Testament like maybe like Jeremiah or Ezekiel you know the, the folks that wrote like huge chunks of the Old Testament when you read what they're writing they kind of say the same thing over and over and then they kind of add to it and I think that's that's the whole point if those if those prophets and writers could have made the context and the point in one or two sentences they would have guess what they didn't they, they wrote a lot and we need to read a lot and constantly be in the Word so we understand what this means. Thank you very much for sharing that. All right, we'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us.